place where it's 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 like controlled chaos. So there are a lot of rules, but no one follows them. You know, I used up all my vacation. My wife really wants to go to this place, and so do my kids. But like, I can't go because my boss won't give me any more vacation time. And at that, I think that that's like Whoa, a big thing. Is that like Kareem? Dang, I don't think it's that deep. It's just like it's deep, dude. Why what are you talking about? That's anti. That's like. The culture we live in is exactly what you just said you, you're not doing, you know? Hello and welcome to Redirected. My name is Andrew East and this is the show where we sit down and hear people's stories about making it through some of life's craziest transitions. We all go through these changes at one point or another in our lives. I call these changes redirections and they could come in the form of a career change, a relationship ending, or an illness. And so I wanted to share these stories so that yes, we could be entertained, but also so that we could learn from them and whatever changes we confront in our lives, go through them even more successfully having heard from other people and how they've been through these redirections. And so today we have a real treat with us. We sit down and talk with Kareem Rachma, who is an Egyptian American poet, writer, comedian, and all around entrepreneur. This guy has his hands on so many different projects. He has worked with the New York Times. He started the Museum of Pizza. Uh, he helped start Vice and is currently working uh, writing comedy. So he definitely has a diverse skill set, and I can't wait to hear what you guys think of this episode and what he has to say. If you guys want to learn more about Kareem and what he does, you can find his information in the show notes down below. But before we get into it, if you wouldn't mind rating the show and subscribing to it on whatever platform you're listening to, that would be really great and it helps me out a ton. So let's go ahead and jump into this one with Kareem Rahma. Kareem, welcome to the show. Good to have you. You too, man. Thanks so much. Thanks for joining me today. Of course. Appreciate it. I understand you're in New York City. Is that right? I am. I'm in Brooklyn, New York City, uh, in currently at the exact moment in Bushwick. Okay, nice. Very, I love New York. Yeah. I saw yeah. you, you had a tweet that said, you feel bad for people who live in New York, but you feel a different kind of bad for people who don't live there. Is that a love-hate relationship or what do you mean? Yeah, I mean, New York, it, it just varies by day for me. Um, whenever, I'm, whenever I'm away from New York City, I miss it so much. Uh, but whenever I'm in New York City, I hate it so much. And I think, it's, I think it's, a, it's a relationship that a lot of people have with New York City where you have this kind of desire to be in nature and be you know, upstate in a little cabin by a lake and just enjoy the finer things in life like dogs and yeah. news um and then at the, at the same time it's like you know the greatest city in the world so it's it's hard to beat um and i think it's kind of this duality that makes it so interesting i'm somewhat partial to los angeles i don't know what your feelings are los angeles versus new york but i kind of like la oh i'm pro i'm pro la um <laughs> I, I i don't participate in the la bashing i think la is a great town and okay. you know my ideal life would be splitting uh, between LA and New York for sure. Nice. So from my understanding though, you were not born and raised there. You were born in Cairo, Egypt, correct? I was, I was born in Cairo, um, spent, uh, most of my life in Minneapolis or in, actually in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, but then would go back to Cairo pretty much every summer, uh, as a child and, you know, kind of had this magical experience of uh, living in Minnesota during the winters, which are brutal, and then <laughs> living in Cairo in the summers, which are also brutal. Um, so, you know, extreme heat and extreme cold uh, were kind of was kind of my upbringing. 
Wow. Yeah. Magical would not be the term that I would use, but I appreciate the optimism there. Um, based off all the content I've seen of yours, you're really big on this. I think you say cultural, uh, anthropology that you've experienced. Can you talk us what, what was that experience like aside from the weather growing up from Minnesota or in Minnesota and Cairo two completely different I mean, Minnesotans, as much as I love them, they're like, it's a different breed of humanity up there. You know? Totally. Totally. Um, so can you talk us through the effect that that had on your culture? Yeah. I mean, for a long time, you know, I thought I had to choose between one or the other. Um, it, it, it's our minds want us to label things, right? Like I wake up in the morning and I look around my kitchen and I'm like sink, dish, mug, just constantly labeling. And I think we want to label ourselves internally too. It kind of helps us uh, map out or, you know, provides a compass for who we are. And when I was growing up, I kind of ignored the question a little bit. Like I didn't, I just accepted, uh, I didn't think about it. Essentially, I, I really didn't think about it. But I knew that I always felt out of place. You know, when I was in Egypt with my Egyptian family, I was like, these people are so Egyptian. This is so weird. These like, I remember I brought peanut butter to my grandmother, and she'd never had peanut butter. Before. What? She did. Yeah, and 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 sh and they're a middle class, like regular family living in Cairo, but it's just not something Egyptians eat. Um, and so as a kid, I'm like, this is so weird. My grandma doesn't even know what peanut butter is. And then I'd come back home to Minnesota, and you know, my mom would be making these amazing, looking back at it, amazing home-cooked meals, right? Like so good and, and, and so traditional. And I would rally against them and be like, mom, you're so weird. Why don't we just eat pizza or Lunchables or like, you know, Hot Pockets? Like that's what I wanted. And it wasn't until I was an adult um, and it wasn't even, not, not even as an adult, I would say like in the past two or three years that I've really been thinking about the nature of identity, um, the nature of self-labeling, and the nature of doing cultural anthropology on oneself, um, and trying to explore all of the different avenues and all of the different experiences that we face as people, uh, uh, and, and not even trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together, but just have the pieces of the puzzle available. Um, so so it's, it's a lot of um reflection and a lot of kind of trying to slow down and you know become the passenger of your own life rather than take the driver's seat and take the steering wheel interesting so i'm with you on the pizza the lunchables that was just never my thing you know just I, the they, cold they, deli meat just didn't do it for me they're just so cool though <laughs> yeah. it's like it's like at, 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 the, at the school cafeteria it was always the cool kids that had lunchables and looking back at it it's probably because their parents like didn't really like we're just like do whatever you want type of situation <laughs> and that's why they were cool you know but um i i, I didn't know if i didn't even like the taste of them i just wanted them so i could be part of that club it was a status symbol club. Yeah, exactly. And and they are expensive. And I remember we couldn't afford them because who pays $7 for like a piece of cheese and two crackers, you know? <laughs> oh, man, the proportions were way off on those things. It was like way too much cheese. Um, but so I was listening to um, 
your podcast, you people, and we could talk about that in a little bit in more depth. But uh, your interview with Pam Nasser, where you talk about how you talk about this cultural journey that you went on and you you went on these trips, I think you call them mission trips, uh, that were really um, purposeless, it sounded like in a lot of ways. What were some of those trips and uh, how did they help shape you? Well, the, the, so when, when um, eventually I went to high school and my sister went to high school and my brother went to high school and my family stopped going back to Egypt. So my last trip to Cairo was in the summer between eighth grade and ninth grade. And then we didn't go back. Uh, so all of high school, I didn't go back. All of college, I didn't go back. And then uh, my father passed away and... I saw that as an opportunity to kind of take care of, you know, matters in, in Egypt uh, on behalf of my dad. And so that was the first mission. That one had a purpose. That one was like, I need to go back and see what's going on. We had an apartment there. We had like my dad's friends. We had my dad's family. And I felt like I needed to be there uh, to fulfill my role as like man of the house, for lack of better words. That was the first trip there. After I went there that, that first time, I discovered as an adult so much about myself that felt like it was missing, right? Because those formative years of high school and especially formative years of college, I didn't go to the place where I had the most kind of roots, right? Like I had my entire extended family, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, my cousins, um, and going there the first time to kind of take care of business set the stage for me to go there for no other reason other than to continue kind of building that part of myself. Um, so I started going back kind of multiple times a year uh, and, and it was just recreational. And that's what I mean by purposeless. There was no point of going other than to be there and to experience what being Egyptian meant um, mm. as an adult. Because as a kid, it's like a field trip. Like you're not really paying attention to the details. You're just in another environment and it's really fun and it's really cool, but you're not really soaking up uh, what you need to be soaking up. So as an adult, it started to feel like every time I went there, I would gain knowledge. My Arabic would get better. I would appreciate that side of myself more and more. Um, and it was impossible to do that without going there. So I don't know. It, it seems like we share, I'm not as, as artsy as you are, but I think we share uh, interests in food and in film. Um, and one of the movies that literally was the most inspiring thing that I can remember watching was he, uh, Yiro Dreams of Sushi on Netflix. Have you yeah, seen yeah. this? Yeah, I saw it so many years ago, but it was amazing. It's an amazing film. It's, it's about this dog. guy who just devotes his whole life to like just... I mean, sushi is not simple by any means, but like to one thing and he, he's a master at it. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, they have the saying of whatever you do, do with excellence. And if you're a bricklayer, like, but this guy embodies that. Yeah. And, and like, oh my gosh, I love it. And that's the truth in all, most of the people I met in Japan is you either like in Japan, there's two paths. One, you become a salary man, which is a person who wears a suit and he goes to work at a major corporation and you do it for the money. Or you make sushi, or you make tea, or you make coffee, or you lay bricks, or you drive a cab. But your job when you do that is to be the best person at it. And so, you know, like the cab drivers there, 
they wear white gloves and are like, they take their jobs very seriously. They see their job as the most important thing in the world. And I understand why. It's like you're taking someone from point A to point B. There's meetings, there's hospitals, there's, you know, all sorts of stuff. And they take it upon themselves to make sure that your journey is better than any other journey that you've had. And wow. so it's not just like the sushi, it's, it's, it's anyone who's a craftsman and the craftsman can be any, any thing outside of being a salary man. So it can be, be being a taxi driver or a bricklayer or a sushi maker, or a tea person or a painter. Um, but they, you know, they they find this kind of meditation. It's, it's meditative when, when you do the same thing every single day and every day you're getting incrementally better to the fat, to the point that you don't actually notice that you're getting better anymore because it's in the finest details possible. You know, uh, it takes a lifetime. And I love, I also love it. I, I love this idea that it takes a lifetime because yeah. it takes a lifetime to fail. It also takes a lifetime to succeed, you know? Um, so it's never over till it's over. So how'd you end up at the great university of Minnesota? Uh, not a super funny story. Um, in high school, I was not a great student. I kind of aimed for B's and got B minuses. I never took school that seriously. I always felt like it was a waste of time, not in the sense uh, of like getting an education, but in the sense of like grades. And it just didn't make that much sense to me. So I did the least amount of work as possible purposefully. Like I wasn't lazy and I wasn't a slacker. I was just like, I know that I can put in a minimum amount of hours and get these and that these are good enough to get into college. Uh, and when that came around, I didn't have, I didn't really, I wasn't super, I didn't know what I want. You know, I didn't know what I wanted to do at all. And I didn't know what, where I wanted to live. I really didn't think beyond the state lines of Minnesota. Yeah. Um, so I applied to some state colleges and um, I applied to the University of Minnesota. And when I got the acceptance letter, I was kind of just like, well, it's really close. It's like 30, it's 30 minutes away. I don't have to like move like my whole life. I can, I can just move 20 minutes away. That sounds good enough for me. And that's kind of how I was doing a lot of these things. It's like, yeah, it's good enough. Yeah. Um, and so that's how I got there. It was, it was just, it was close and convenient and, uh, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And it seemed like, uh, the safest choice actually, um, mm. in terms of not having to get too far out of my comfort zone. I did. I never thought about leaving the state. That's the thing. Like I only thought about going to state colleges and some were two hours away, some were three hours away, but at that, at that point I was just like, I uh, might as well just stick around, you know? How invested in go for football are you? They're having a pretty good season. This year I'm invested uh, <laughs> because of that. And I, I actually had this like weird pang, uh, panging of nostalgia recently where I like really wanted to be at a college football game. So I ended up going to homecoming with a bunch of my buddies. To the Penn State game. To, to, well, yeah, it was a Penn State game. with. Uh, I See, that's how much I don't care about the football <laughs> itself. I only care about... The that was a huge game. game. Yeah, I was there. I was there. Um, <laughs> and it was a blast. It was so fun to be back home. It was, it, And it's funny because last year I had wanted to go to the homecoming game. 
but I couldn't go because of some other stuff I was working on. Uh, and so this year when it came around, I was like, I'm going. And I just like went, went to Minnesota for the weekend, went to the homecoming game. It was a blast. So after you graduate university of Minnesota, um, I'm just going to kind of rip off some of your, uh, I think resume here, you've been involved with Nameless Network, been involved with uh, Hyphen Media, Museum of Pizza plays in there. Can you kind of talk about how that all mixes together and the trajectory of that? Yeah, and, and even before those things, I um, I interned at an advertising agency in, in, in uh, New Brighton, Minnesota, which is like a small town suburb outside of uh, Minneapolis. And I got my start in SEO, which is search engine optimization. Um, that was my first job out of college. And fortunately, I had this amazing mentor and boss uh, called Jared Roy. And he was this cool, young, kind of like, you know, advertising guy. And he was given the directive to start a social media department within this advertising agency that I was work at. And he took it upon himself to ask me to join him in doing so. So it was my first real taste of, you know, A, pivoting from SEO to social media and B, to starting something completely new in an industry that was completely new. Um, and so we did that for a couple of years. From then I went on to work at a couple of other larger advertising agencies in the Twin Cities. Um, and then one day, I had this uh, kind of epiphany where I was at the locker or I was at the gym in a locker room and I heard this guy complaining about how he couldn't take a vacation with his family because his boss wouldn't let him. He was like, I just, you know, I used up all my vacation. My wife really wants to go to this place and so do my kids, but like, I can't go because my boss won't give me any more vacation time. And at that exact moment, I remember it. I was like, that's not going to be me. I was like, I cannot, I cannot live my life around someone else's kind of timeline and structure. Um, and so it gave me enough confidence to be like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. So I quit my advertising job, got a bunch of clients as a consultant and kind of had this like ragtag group of freelancers that were web designers and developers and SEO people and social media people and creative people and just had this like small consulting business in Minnesota and it worked well for about a year or so. Then I took a vacation, a long vacation, kind of one of these mission trips where it ended in Cairo. But before that, I went to Amsterdam and Paris and London and kind of, and I think Berlin. And I was like, man, I need to get out of Minneapolis for a while and see what else is out there. So I came home and then a month later, I moved to New York City without a job, without a plan, uh, without any friends. I had one friend here and he had just moved to New York City a month before I had. Um, so both of us were total fish out of water. Um, when I got to New York, I realized that, you know, my one or two clients were not going to be able to sustain any sort of lifestyle here. Uh, so I was like, okay, let's break the rule for a little bit. You don't always have to be an entrepreneur. Let's get a job. So I blindly applied to a job at Vice, uh, which at the time, Vice Media was like a, a website and I don't even think they had a YouTube channel yet. Uh, and it was about 60 employees. This was in 2012. 
So I applied there. They desperately needed people with an advertising background. And I was pretty much hired on the spot, kind of interviewed. I was like reading the old emails yesterday for some reason, but of like me applying to that job was interviewed on Wednesday and started work on Monday of that same week. So it was like, I didn't even have a laptop. They didn't have a laptop, but they didn't even have a seat for me. Um, So Vice was kind of my introduction to media. I call it like an MBA in the media business. And I learned an unbelievable amount uh, at Vice in terms of uh, everything from audience development to audience growth to content creation and beyond. And after Vice, I went and worked at the New York Times. And because of my kind of addiction to duality and juxtaposition, I really liked the idea of working at the hottest new media startup in the world and then also working at the most legacy brand in media in the world. And I love the idea of having both of those experiences. And the Times was fulfilling and wonderful and beautiful. And it was a time of transition and fear. And, you know, they really pulled through. I'm so proud of the New York Times for where they are where they are right now. Number one podcast, uh, The Daily You know, they have a television show on FX and it's been remarkable to watch them kind of grow into their new shoes in the media industry. And so after that, it had been about four years of, you know, working full time at these companies. And, you know, I still had that pang uh, to be an entrepreneur. That's really what I wanted to do. So had this idea to create the Nameless Network, which was essentially taking viral videos uh, and the viral video model and infusing it with content that is really, really smart and sophisticated. And so there was a lot of videos going viral of like, you know, cats falling off of chairs and, uh, you know, half court shots being made. Um, But there wasn't anything explaining like what the difference between a cashew and an almond is, or like what happens to your body when you fly on an airplane. Uh, um, And that's kind of where we focused our efforts. From there, it was like, I was on the internet for so long doing Nameless Network and building this audience of 15 million people and 2 million subscribers on Twitter and, and beyond. And we're like, what can we do in the physical world? that is a representation, a physical manifestation of what Nameless Network represents. And that's when we came up with the idea of the Museum of Pizza. At the time, it was kind of, which was only last year, it was it's like the soup du jour of um, experiential was creating museums around niche uh, objects. And I felt like pizza was the great unifier of food. It was something you could eat by yourself. It was something you could eat with a group. It was something you could eat when you were sad and depressed. It was something that you could eat when you were celebrating. Kind of, again, all about duality. Like pizza is a highbrow food. It's a lowbrow food. It's, it's, it's all the things once. And so we set out to make this Museum of Pizza, which we did. 30,000 people came. Um, you know, we had huge corporate sponsors. And it was a big press and commercial success. And then 2018, 2019 came around, which is the year that we're in. I always forget. Um, and I started thinking about, you know, what's next. Um, in the back of my mind, there was always this idea to create kind of media around hyphenated identities. And 
you know, I'd seen a lot of media companies that were focusing just on the African-American experience or the Asian-American experience or the Latino-American experience. But I thought that it would be interesting to tie them all together, you know, to put all of those hyphen hyphen groups in one kind of category. And so that's where I started thinking about, you know, what would a podcast look like that discusses the hyphenated experience? And that's where you people was born. And so, you know, I'm still doing all those other things, but now also doing the You People podcast as well. That's great. Hey, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Listen, working out is hard. It's always been hard. Even when it's easy, it's still pretty hard. Especially now that I have a baby in the house, I'm finding it even more difficult to want to work out. Bomba's socks can't change that, but they can make it more comfortable. So if your resolution is to get fit this year, Start by getting socks that can keep up every step of the way. I've worn Bombas socks for a couple of years now, and they're my favorite. They have a ton of different types of socks, like compression socks, performance socks, and even winter socks, which both Sean and I wore the entire time we were out in Utah skiing this year. And they're well-cushioned, and they keep my feet the perfect temperature, which is great, especially when I'm working out. No one really wants sweaty feet, and Bombas socks really helps with that. And you guys are in luck. My listeners get a special code. Go to bombas.com slash redirected today and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash redirected for 20% off. Bombas.com slash redirected. Are you doing everything right for your health today but not planning for the what ifs of tomorrow? It's time you do. The problem is the health conscious have overpaid and subsidized those who are less health conscious. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's just how life insurance works. Introducing Health IQ. Health IQ uses science and data to secure lower rates for people like you on their life insurance. If you're a runner or a cyclist, or if you're into CrossFit like me, maybe you're a committed weekend warrior or a vegetarian or vegan, then you deserve to be rewarded for your hard work with more affordable life insurance rates. But these savings are exclusive to Health IQ. You won't find them anywhere else, and you must qualify to get the special rate. To see if you qualify, go to healthiq.com forward slash redirected to take the proprietary health IQ quiz. Depending upon your score as well as other related qualifying factors, you can save up to 41% on your life insurance premiums compared to other providers. Again, that's healthiq.com redirected and let them know that I sent you. Start the process with a health IQ quiz. There's no commitment and you'll learn even more about potential opportunities to be rewarded for your commitment to living healthy. One more time, that's healthiq.com forward slash redirected. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? Do you feel like you don't know where to go to talk with someone about it all? Don't worry. BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. I know that counseling can sometimes be overwhelming, but BetterHelp connects you with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It's so convenient. What's great is that you can get help on your own time and at your own pace, and I know that life gets crazy sometimes, so you can even schedule secure video or phone sessions plus chat and text with your therapist. And of course, everything you share with them is always confidential. Get help on your own time and at your own pace. Just to name a few, BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, and so many more. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Redirected listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code REDIRECTED. So why not get started today? Go to BetterHelp.com REDIRECTED. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash redirected. 
All right, let's get back to our conversation with Kareem. I want to take a step back for a second. There's two interesting stories you told of quitting your job in Minnesota to start your uh, consulting company in Minnesota and then moving to your New York, which from an outsider's perspective kind of seems like knee jerk. I don't want to say impulse because I'm sure there's a lot of thought and work behind that, but not everybody has that gumption or that tendency to act that quickly. I would say, I would say including myself with large life changes. Like if I, if I had been working a job for multiple years, it'd be hard to to leave that. And I feel like a lot of people experience that. Where does that tendency towards action originate? Is it something that you have to actively pursue or tell me about it? I'm kind of just naturally in a state of change, right? Like I am uncomfortable when things are not moving. And that's a literal thing too. Like I've, I've talked to my therapist about it. I'm like, I prefer being in transit. Like, even if it's like driving a car or riding a bike or walking, like I can't, I, I like being in the journey, right? Um, in, in, a, in a literal and physical way. And I think it's the same kind of reaction in a more metaphorical place where I prefer change. I prefer movement. I prefer going forward into the unknown rather than being static uh, and stuck in one place for too long. So for me, it's not something that I have to psych myself up for. It's kind of like, I also have this thing uh, that I think I haven't said in a long time, but I do still is, is, is still a true statement for me, which is that I like to do things for the story. And it's not for anyone else's story, but for my story. I like thinking that when I'm 90 years old, I will be able to say, wow, what a life you lived, right? Like, and so a lot of the decisions I make are like, is it gonna be good for the story? Is it gonna be good for my story that I tell myself about my own life when I'm an old, old man, like laying in a bed? Will it be a life worth living? And I think that's one of my primary drivers is I just want to fill up my life with interesting stories and, and interesting experiences. And I rarely will say no to something unless I really don't want to do it. Right. Like, and I'm not, not, not out of fear, but more so out of like energy depletion. So that's something I've been working on a lot this year is, is saying no, but not because I'm scared saying no, because I want to just protect my energy and just like, literally sit on the couch and watch the Sopranos um, versus, you know, doing something that requires me to be active. You know, I think, I think the, the thing that a lot of people, you know, sitting, I was sitting at a ramen restaurant a couple of nights ago and I heard Good this choice. guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was thinking about Japan. I'm, <laughs> um, I needed to get a hit, you know, uh, but, but I, I was sitting next to this guy and he was like plotting out his life for the next two years. He was like, well, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this. And then once I get the promotion, I'm going to start looking for an apartment. And then once I get an apartment, I'm going to buy it. And then once I buy it, I'm going to Airbnb it. And then I'm going to start renting my own apartment uh, again, myself, blah, 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 all these things. And all I could think was like, dude, none of that is going to happen the way you think it's going to happen because there's too much chaos. There's way too much chaos in the world. 
And there's so many outside forces conspiring against you at all times that it's almost impossible to, to really have kind of a plan like that. So the way that I live it is like, A, do what's right right now. That's a mantra that I have. Do what's right right now, right? Like, how do you feel right now in this exact moment? Follow that instinct. Don't follow the instinct of what you think you're going to feel in three years. Follow the instinct of how you feel right now. So, you know, coming back to the initial question is, I just felt like I needed to go. Like, I just felt like I, I wanted to be an explorer and I, I didn't want to sit. And, and a lot of that is also the way that I've designed my life is that I purposefully have very low overhead. I don't like have attachment to material objects on purpose. And this is not in any way, shape or in any way, like a Buddhist learning, you know, um, on my end, I do know that they have this kind of focus on detachment. And for me, I've just never like cared about material objects. So moving is really easy for me. And, you know, quitting my job is really easy for me. I don't have any dependents. Uh, I don't have any kids. And that all these things make it a lot easier. And those are all the conscious choices is that I want to be able to have a flexible life where I can pretty much do whatever I want without necessarily worrying about it too much. So like, I definitely live within my means. I definitely don't have credit card debt. Um, I had student loan debt, but I, I paid it off. And it's just about making sure that I am flexible and able to get in and out of situations as I please, rather than have a life worth of things that I'm paying for, but not enjoying because I'm too busy paying for them. And I think that that's like Whoa, a big thing. Is that like, Kareem. dang, I don't think it's that deep. It's just like, it's deep, dude. Why what are you talking about? That's anti, that's like the culture we live in is exactly what you just said you, you're not doing, you know? I just don't want to work so that I can have things. Like I want to work so that I'm doing what I want to do. Like that's my whole prerogative is to be able to do what I want to do at any given time. And so if that means like not having the best couch in the world, like for so long, I, I've been shop I shopped for a couch for seven years. Uh, and so this is actually interesting because I can move to New York on a whim or like decide to like take a consulting gig in LA uh, and live in LA for three months or whatever it is, but I cannot buy a couch. Hmm. It's so, per it's, it, it, to me, that's more permanent than all of these other life changes. Like that, that was another thing is like when I, when I'm worried about something, I just go, if I don't like it, I'll just move back. Like it's not a big deal. You know what I mean? Like if I quit my job and I decide that entrepreneurship's not for me, I can get a new job. Like it, it, that's in my head. I'm like, that's easy. But like the buying a couch thing is very stressful. Hmm. So I spent like seven years thinking about couches, wanting a couch, Didn't finally pulled the trigger. No, I oh, finally, <laughs> I finally pulled the trigger and I'm very happy with my purchase. Um, but, but I think that is funny that like that little decision for me was probably the equivalent of someone saying like, should I move to Nashville? You know, it was, it was very stressful for me. I was, uh, 
I was with you on the low overhead thing until I got married and then that changed everything for me. So I don't know if, <laughs> if, if, if uh, well, my, my wife's in the same boat. She is okay. also all about the low overhead. So we're both people who are like, let's be free as free as possible. Um, and it's, it's good. It's really good. Uh, you know, sometimes when you're planning a life together, it is, difficult to maintain that sense of freedom for sure you know all of a sudden i'm talking about like oh we should buy uh, a a house upstate right like we should buy because i love going upstate i love being in nature so rather than airbnb being a place once a month that ends up costing 500 dollars for a weekend like why not just get our own place and now i'm starting to like think like you know if i do that there's there's gonna it, it all of a sudden it's like you're gonna need to have a very you're gonna need to have income you know you have a mortgage which is different than rent you know rent is disposable and i can just be like well all right i'm moving home or like whatever but like having a mortgage is a totally different story so it's certainly changes definitely changes marriage definitely changes a person because you're planning a life together you know Right. And that's what I was going to ask you, like when you were overhearing that conversation and the, uh, the ramen bar is planning just a foreign concept to you. I, we just had our first kid. Congratulations. Thank you. Appreciate that. I love babies. I did too, dude. I didn't know I did, but I freaking love them now. They're so, I love them. They're (laughs) so cool and so cute. And they're just like, so they teach you a lot. That's from what I hear. I mean, I love hanging out with kids. My mom had a daycare when I was growing up. So I grew up with a lot of kids in my house and they're the best. That's great. But it's, it's changed my, like the family planning of, okay. It's weird because I'm really not like this. I, I do tend to have the mentality more like you, but like now with the kid, it's like, okay, well, where are we going to send them to school? Like they're, right. they're less than a month old, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's this weird, I, I don't know if that's natural or if I've fallen into the trap or what, but. Um, no, I think, I think when you have dependents, you have to take care of them. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I think that's instinctual and it's totally natural and you have to do that. You know, you, it was your choice to bring a child into the world. So yeah. like, it's your responsibility to make sure that they have a great life. And I don't yeah. think that that is bad by any means. I think that's the best kind of planning, you know? Yeah. I, I think the planning that I don't like is like this kind of like in your head, here's how it's going to go. I'm going to do this. And then after I do this, I'm going to do that. And then this will happen. And then this will happen. And I'm like, dude, I agree. Yeah. There's a lot of things that could happen here that you have zero control over that are going to completely derail your plan. So can we talk about this too? Because I don't know how much you listen to like, uh, I don't know, I guess Tony Robbins would be an example or these motivational speakers, which I have adamantly um, advocated on my podcast that I do not want to be in any way like that motivation just because it just, that's not... I don't think there's really much tangible practical advice that comes from that. But, you know, they mentioned books like The Secret where it's, hey, you know, you put this out there and things start manifesting themselves. seems like you kind of have a different mentality of like, hey, there's chaos that you're going to have to deal with. It's going to totally throw off whatever you're planning to do. Is there a conflict? Am I, am I misinterpreting that or... No, I, th- I think here's, here's kind of how I lay it out. 
you can have a goal, right? Yeah. And you can take the necessary steps to get there. Yeah. But those steps are going to change. The journey is going to change. I love change. that. I actually, you know, I like love that. keep the goal. Like if, if your goal is to buy an apartment, if it's something as simple as like, I want to buy an apartment in New York City, fine. Work towards that on a daily and weekly basis. But you can't go in one month, I'm going to do this. In three <laughs> months, I'm going to do this. And, and, and his plan was so, it, there were so many outside forces. It was like yeah. the real estate market, the economy, his job. And he was going to quit his job and get a new job. And then he was like, oh, and then maybe I'll just sublet the bedroom to another person. It was just like, I was like, man, there's way too much going on here. Like, I like your goal, have that goal. But, and, and, and like, you know, there's a loose plan, but he was so sure that all these things were going to happen that I was like, you're going to get very disappointed, you know? And, and that's another thing is that like, I've learned that, that the that disappointment comes from expectation, right? That's where disappointment comes from. And I hate being disappointed. So I try not to expect things, you know, and I like pleasant surprises. So for me, it's like, I'll get there. And I have an idea of how I'll get there. But I know from so many of my life experiences that it's not going to be the way that I thought it was going to be. Yeah. And maybe, maybe there's a differentiation between a goal and an expectation where of like uh, an expectation is almost like you thinking that you will achieve your goal and then you, and, and exactly how you envision it at that moment where very rarely does that happen and in and, yeah. and good and bad ways. You know, I, I think the expectation is like more focused on the result, right? Like it's more focused on the outcome, whereas a goal is more focused on the journey nice. itself. Right. Yeah. Um, but that is certainly something I've, I've only recently come to appreciate, you know, like I'm a very goal oriented person. I'm not just sitting here like doing nothing. Like I'm doing a lot of things and I love accomplishment and I love output. That's the thing that I talk about a lot is output. Like I want to put things out to the world. And the most important thing for me is to be heard is that people hear what I'm saying and not as an intellectual not as an artist, not as an entertainer, but just a person with ideas. That's really like how I describe it. It's just like interesting ideas, you know? I think I would love to be like an intellectual, but I don't think I'm well-read enough, you know? Like yeah. to be an intellectual, you have to have a lot of references. And <laughs> I do read a lot, but not in a collegiate fashion. Like I prefer reading for pleasure rather than like to be able to talk about it. Yeah. Speaking of books, you have a haiku book coming out entitled We Were Promised Flying Cars. Is it three times we were promised flying cars? Or it's just, just one time. Yeah. Okay. The cover Which, design uh, is just uh, three I times. I love that. So I, when I first read that, I was like, oh my gosh, it really hit me because I distinctly remember my sixth grade science teacher telling me that by the time I was going to drive... So whatever, eight years from then, we were going to have hydrogen powered cars. And so not flying cars, but like, I don't know what your intent was with that title, but like there was something of, oh my gosh, I, I get this like that, that clicks with me, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's just like, we're in the future, right? Like we're always moving towards the future, right? And it's never what was promised. And it's never what was expected. Wow. You know? really, wow. Nice. Um, and 
if you think about it, we've gotten in our own way in terms of the future. We have all of these massive issues like climate change, like healthcare in the United States, like the fact that there's still a thing called war killing of other people because of religion or territory or whatever it may be. I think that's so primitive and so weird. It's, it's like so foreign to me in my mind that anyone would kill anyone else over anything, whether it's territory or belief or religion. And there was a time in the world of great technological advancement. Like we went to the fucking moon. Uh, even every time I get on an airplane, I'm like, I cannot believe I'm literally flying in the, in the air right now. Like still, I still have that sense of wonderment. I look outside the window and I'm on top of the clouds. I'm like, I cannot believe we're flying. And so a scientist could explain this to me and say, well, here's how it works. But I'm just a regular guy on a plane. I'm just like, I cannot believe I'm flying. And yeah. not only am I flying, but I'm watching movies and I'm texting with someone on earth. You know, <laughs> that is technological advancement. And I think we were well on our way to have flying cars and holograms and and uh, teleportation and a lot of these things. I think we were v climate change to be solved. Like we were well on our way. And then we were completely derailed by a single device known as the iPhone. And I honestly think that all efforts went into making the iPhone better and not on a practical level. It's like, think about it. The most important things in the world right now are all apps. Like that's what it is. And, and the apps are impressive. Don't get me wrong. Like Uber is impressive, but it's not that impressive. It's not like going to the moon, you know, Airbnb is impressive, but it's not that impressive. It's not like building an airplane and they're all meant for personal convenience, right? So whether it's seamless or Airbnb or like um, name an app, it's all about personal convenience. It's not about technological marvel. It's not about the advancement of civilization. It's literally about making your life, your little teeny tiny life easier. But it's not doing anything it, it, for us, you know? And, and that's kind of like the, and what the exploration was about. It was about, you know, why do we think about the future in this way of like that optically it has to look different? right? Like optically, we have to see flying cars. Right now, the future doesn't look so different, but we're in it. It's just the fact that like everything is just in our phones, right? Like it's all just in our FaceTime. The fact that me and you right now are video uh, chatting, like if you look at like the Jetsons or like Futurama, I guess Futurama doesn't make sense because that show was written contemporary, but like the Jetsons, which was written in the 70s or whatever, or the 80s, they have like holograms, and, or they have video conferencing and Star Trek has video conferencing. And I was like, whoa, that'll be really cool one day when you can video conference with someone. And it came and it happened, but we take it for granted. And we still want these big, big, big things to be solved. Um, so that was a really fun book to write. Uh, I've been writing poetry for around, you know, I've always written it, but I've never shared it. Um, so I've been publishing it, I think for around two or three years now. And, you know, because I do have goals, I wanted something, I wanted a whole piece of work, 
rather than a bunch of disparate haikus or poems, I wanted like to have an entire thing, right, to come out of this. And that's kind of where that ended up. Nice. If I could rebuttal, and I don't think this was your intent, um, but you mentioned the, the phone hasn't done anything and it's all about our teeny tiny lives, which I actually completely agree with you that it is all about personal convenience. I do think that it has had the effect um, and touching on what you said earlier of, of like you want to have your voice heard is kind of a goal of yours. There has been a lot of good that's come from it. You know, I, I agree with you in the sense that it hasn't been, you know, clearing up or like figuring out a way to fix pollution or the next uh, mission to Mars. But there has been, I think from a humanity level individually, some really beneficial things to it, but that's, that's my small rebuttal. No, I, I don't disagree <laughs> with that. I think, I think that that's where it like, that is true. Like the yeah. phone, the personal, kind of internet phone, smartphone with a camera and with internet connection did change the world. It revolutionized communication. It revolutionized the entertainment industry for sure. Mm -hmm. But I feel like all resources poured into that. Yeah. And, and for profit, that's all it was about. It was like a gold rush of talent. Uh, hmm. and it was all about capitalism. It's not really about the advancement of society. You know, like Facebook wasn't built with the intention of advancing society. It was built with the intention of like getting girls, <laughs> um, which is right. fine. And, it, and it's, it's, that is what it is. But like when you step away from this, when you step away from the phone, like what really else has been done in the past 10 years since yeah. the phone came out. Like it's all been focused on the phone, which is yeah. fine. I mean, it, it is, it impresses me. Like it, it's impressive, but I also feel like it's not that impressive. Like I don't, <laughs> I just don't think it's that impressive. You know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's certainly really difficult to talk about the future because it's so infinite, you know? Yeah. It is. I just had this thought, you know, we were watching uh, the first man, the Ryan Gosling movie. And it's like all those Apollo 13 movies about these huge feats that humanity has accomplished is all like team focused, right? It was, you're looking at the control center in Houston. It's like 80 guys all accomplishing this. The, com the comparative parallel to that for the iPhone was like the Steve Jobs uh, movie where it's like, it's just about Steve really like, you right. know, at the end of the day. so anyway, I thought that was kind of interesting, but uh to pull a, if you scroll through Kareem's Instagram, uh, you'll see Andy Milanakis, Jody Highroller, Heidi Montag, Andy Dick, who else? Prez, Anthony Scaramucci was probably my favorite one. And so I was like, oh, wow, this is interesting. And I was clicking through and there's a paragraph that you posted um, on the Heidi Montag. In the future, fact and fiction will be completely indistinguishable. Deceit will be the default and we won't even care that we're being lied to because we'll prefer the entertainment. Eventually entertainment will ascend into the realms of religion. If you think we're obsessed now, wait until we truly worship it. I was like, okay, first of all, deep thought. Um, but I think I really agree with you of, we won't even care that we're being lied to because we'll prefer the entertainment. I think a lot of ways that describes our culture. Um, 
and it just really hit me. And so the whole, I mentioned all the people that, that had read your poems on your profile. It was all about you describing how if you scroll through my Instagram, um, you'd think that I would be well-connected. I'm, I'm paraphrasing here. Um, but you paid these celebrities a, fall, a small fee to have done this. And you talked about deep fakes, which is like this video technology. And uh, it's, it's really very interesting. So I'm excited. I'm going to have to pick up a copy of the book. Thank um, you. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything yeah, I mean, you want to say about the celebrity issue? Yeah. I mean, I mean, the idea is that like, we think that it's like Russian hackers and like the CIA and all this crazy stuff. It's like, no, anyone can be deceitful at any time with the internet. And the idea was like, since the book is about how the future is going to be filled with misinformation, it's all, the, the current state is already filled with misinformation. It's just going to be even more amplified. And I really think that we're just going to be like, oh, whatever, it's entertainment. It, like, it's enough. It's like we're addicted to junk food, uh, even though we know that we should be eating vegetables. Um, but we won't care. And and people, I mean, if you look at a pack of cigarettes, it says on it, like smoking causes cancer or smoking kills. And we still smoke. It doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't matter to us. We do what we want to do. And I think in the same way, in the future, we're going to be like, well, so what if it's a lie? It's like, it's entertaining. Like it made me laugh or it made me cry or it made me feel something. Um, and I just wanted to show that I could also participate in deception that, you know, if I really wanted to look like this big time author who has all these celebrity friends that I could pay them each $40 <laughs> and have them read my poems and I could put it on the internet and say like, thank you so much, Andy Dick. It's, but it was great seeing you. I appreciate you reading my book, reading my poem, put it on the Instagram. And everyone would be like, wow, like this guy knows Andy Dick. It would probably help me sell a lot more books. But the idea was that I wanted to show and I wanted to be honest. And, I want, and, and that's what I was saying. I want people to think, right? I, I just want people to look at my ideas and be like, that was an interesting idea. And so that, 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 that's it. Like I probably lost money because... I didn't actually uh, continue with the misinformation and it was more like, Hey, check this out. This is the thing. Um, but that was the payoff for me is that people were like, wow, that's a really smart, interesting idea and a way of looking at things. I think my thoughts on your scheme is this, like, it's not that I, I don't care that I'm being deceived. It's more that I still scroll through your Instagram. It, your Instagram and I'm like, Oh my gosh, he did all this. What an interesting, what an interesting move. And so I, 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 the point of me saying that though is like, cause I feel like in all this deceit, people have these little justifications or like, Oh, well what, like with politicians these days, Oh, well how smart of him to go about it that way, you know, or, Anyway, that's kind of a side thought. I, I want to talk. We're about to go over time here. Um, I'm curious, what are your goals now? Um, I think I want to continue telling stories in interesting and meaningful ways, continue pushing myself forward and challenging myself. Um, I'm you know, currently active in writing some sketches, writing short films and feature films, working on the podcast uh, and just trying to explore more ways to tell interesting stories. I think that's really my main focus right now. Um, and to continue kind of playing with 
what's possible emotionally and mentally uh, for myself as well. Putting myself into positions where I, w- I come out of it and I'm like, wow, that was harder than I thought it would be. Or, you know, that was not what I expected. And just, you know, continuing to experiment with with this little thing called life. Yeah, love that. If um, If you look back on your journey and you were going to share three takeaways with the audience of things that you have learned through all that you've been involved with, what, what would you share? The biggest one I think is that it's never over till it's over, right? Like I've had moments where I'm on my dying breath and I'm like, it's, it's done. Like we're done, you know, whether that be my business or my health or other things, it's just over. And then things suddenly miraculously turn around like they do in the in the movies. And essentially the point is like, there's no such thing as failure. Like, unless you die, <laughs> then, then it's over. Like there is no failure or success, but you know, just don't ever give up. Like you never know what's around the corner. Uh, and it could be what you've been waiting for. That's, that's probably number one. Number two Comparison is the thief of joy. Nice. Uh, I don't remember who said that. You'll have to fact check it. Um, but that's something that I've had kind of actively processing in my brain as much as possible is that you got to do your thing. You know, your goals are different than other people's goals. Your way of life is different than other people's way of life. And it doesn't matter what they have it matters, what you have. And that if you if you try to keep up with the Joneses or follow someone else's journey, it's just, it's impossible for it to be the same. So you just got to do what you feel is right and what makes you happy as a person. Um, and then, you know, I think, I think lastly, lastly is that like, I think it's what we talked about is that like expectation is what causes kind of disappointment. Yeah. And so if you, if you try to limit your expectations and again, I, th- I think it all comes down to like, tr- it sounds so cliche, but like trying at least to live in the moment. It's just trying to be here now and trying to do what's right right now. You know, you can't really over plan things. And I think that's it. Yeah. I think those are the three things. Kareem, I appreciate you giving me the time. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. And uh, if you listening want to go hear more of Kareem, you can find him on Instagram at, at Kareem. I think your Twitter is at Kareem Y. And then obviously the You People podcast would highly recommend. But uh, great to meet you and look forward to future conversations. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me on the show and uh, appreciate you spending time with me. Absolutely. Absolutely.